This episode is brought to you by ShipBob, the global leader in e-commerce fulfillment with locations across North America, Europe, and the United Kingdom. ShipBob offers direct integration to merchants running on Shopify, Wix, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, Amazon, eBay, and Walmart. And they are the only 3PL that is Shopify Plus certified. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. This episode is brought to you by StoreTasker. Do you need a great Shopify developer? StoreTasker has a hand-selected community of the industry's top Shopify developers and e-commerce experts. So far, StoreTasker has helped over 30,000 Shopify brands find a trusted and talented developer for projects big and small. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 50 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Coulter Lewis, the founder and CEO of Sunday. Based in Boulder, Colorado, Sunday is a subscription lawn care service that provides nutrient plans and products for a beautiful, lush, non-toxic lawn that's better for people, pets, and the planet. Using detailed climate, soil, and satellite data, Sunday is able to customize your very own personal lawn care plan and deliver the nutrients your lawn needs straight to your door. In this episode, Coulter shares with us his entrepreneurial journey from growing up fixing bikes and restoring vintage race cars to working at a global design firm called IDEO, where he learned the power of storytelling, to starting Quinn Foods with his wife, where he realized his true passion for agriculture and the environment, sparking the idea to create Sunday. He shares with us his advice for hiring a great team, how he tested the concept for Sunday, and how he raised over $29 million from top investors such as Sequoia and Forerunner. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We'd really appreciate it, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Coulter, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your awesome story in Building Sunday. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lee. It's good to be here. Where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the Northeast. Grew up in Connecticut, actually, um, and uh, ended up kind of living all over the place, you know, following jobs to, to New York and then Florida and Boston, and now I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Awesome. Um, and so as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? What kind of kid were you? Oh, man. Uh, I was very mechanical. I liked inventing and making things. And so I was, I was like a nightmare neighbor of a kid with go-karts and, you know, tools and all that kind of stuff going on. So love building things. Where does that come from? I don't know. No, and honestly, no, no, your else. parents, and your <laughs> no, dad, like no, no, one's... not really. I was just wired that way, you know? So that's why, Interesting. Uh, yeah, I studied mechanical engineering because of that. And, you know, really uh -huh. that's, that's a depth for me. Yeah. Very interesting. So you were kind of creating a bunch of stuff and asking for tools for Christmas or holidays and you just were cranking out some things from the garage from an early age. Yes, that was that was my wiring. Yeah, uh, obsessed with that kind of thing. My room was full of parts and things taken apart and things like that. Yep. That's really cool. Um, so what else, you know, did you do anything else or is that kind of your thing? Were you playing any sports? Did you have any siblings? <laughs> Uh, I've got two brothers and a sister. Um, I, I I did play some sports. I was mediocre, but it kept me out of trouble. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, worked all the way through high school. Worked as a mechanic at a bike shop. So kind of more more of that, I guess. Um, my first job when I was twelve, mopping floors. Um, but I, you know, I, I loved loved working. It was always that was a big a lot of fun for me. Partly because I, I chose things I enjoyed doing after the mopping. That is. <laughs> 
yeah, the mopping, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so your parents, what did they do? Uh, my dad uh, was in investment banking um, and uh, my mom uh, was a tutor and, and stayed home with her four kids. <clears throat> All right. So you worked at a bike shop. It sounds like that was like one of your first jobs other than sweeping the floors. What were <laughs> some more of those other first jobs that you had? Oh, gosh, lots. Um, I worked uh, at a, a shop that restored vintage race cars. Um, so I helped get old old race cars ready to go on, uh, for very wealthy clients on, on weekends and that kind of thing. And um, I had a passion for cars. So it was really fun for me to be around that and get to wrench on that. So when you were a kid, were you just like, I want to create cool things when I grow up? Or was there like a specific company or job that you wanted when you were younger? Um, I don't, I just love making things, you know, um, I think anything from, I mean, we built a, a scuba system for my neighbor's pool out of like pumps and hula hoops, you know, end to end. And, you know, just every weekend it was something new. So that, that was always my passion. Um, and I think because of that, <clears throat> I really, I think I, I always, um, just assumed that I would start a business and, 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 you know, build something, you know, continue to do that, but do it professionally. But I think that was just always my assumption. So yeah. when did you first kind of realize that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Uh, very young. Yeah. I, I would say similar time frame. you know, early teens kind of thing. As soon as I knew what it was. Was there any kind of moment that you remember where you were inspired and you're like, Oh, they're an entrepreneur. That's what entrepreneurship is. I want to do that. I don't think I had that influence. I wish I did. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think like I knew, you know, and I kind of had an entrepreneurial father, but I still never put the dots together, you know? Well, so I think, I think being an entrepreneur is so much, it's so much, um, there's so many dimensions to it and you can mm -hmm. lean in really hard in a lot of different areas and you're not going to do all of them really well. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's about making things. And, and so that, that stream is continuous from when I was, you know, old enough to use my hands all the way till now. And so that, that's the kind of entrepreneur I am. Absolutely. Creator, builder. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you went off to college, where did you go? Let's, let's maybe run through that. Uh, I went to, to Cornell for mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, that was incredibly challenging. I'll be honest. It sounds challenging. <laughs> I mean, I, I was, I wasn't always the best student and, and didn't focus enough. And then I got there and realized that I had, you know, four years of calc, um, calculus, uh, in front oh, of me, yeah. you know, uh, and, and had to really had, had to learn fast. Um, so did but, you not like calculus? Is that what you're saying? It doesn't come naturally to me. I know things, certain things really? do and that doesn't. No, well, I'm relieved because it definitely <laughs> does not come natural to me. I think I like flunked definitely the first time, tried again and was like, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it took a lot of force to get me through that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm wondering when we can just like avoid calculus altogether. It's just completely useless. <laughs> Let's admit it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I think my the entire education was really in, in um, engineering, but from a analytical sense, you know, really, really deep uh, mathematics, essentially, and thermodynamic modeling and these kinds of things. And here I am. Uh, and actually, you know, not using that directly, but there's this thing you, yeah, I think for me that I, I see a pattern, I see how something can work and how you can characterize and understand something. And I think I use that in other areas, you know, in, in learning plant science and other things that, I'm, that I need to tackle now. So um, when you graduated college, where did you start working? Or did you have any internships while you were in school? Um, I didn't have intern. Well, yeah, I did have one internship as a photo editor. Um, so I have a, a lot of interest in, um, in, in photography and graphic design and in different forms of design uh, as well. So um, I, I worked as a photo editor for Hallmark Entertainment who makes the made-for-TV movies. Um, and that was a, just a fantastic, amazing job being exposed to, to that and making a movie every week, which is just mind-blowing. Um, so that was really fun. Um, and then my, yeah, my first job out of school was uh, actually in the automotive industry. So I was modifying um, high-end sports cars to make silly cars more silly, basically. <laughs> like what kind of silly cars? Yeah. Uh, like, like uh, you know, uh, Porsche turbos and... Um, AMG, Mercedes cars, things like that. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a different kind of world, but it, you know, if, if your neighbor has the same $200,000 car you have, that's not okay. You need to have it, you know, in some way different and better than theirs. And so I designed uh, parts that would you know, help that car make more power and, and 
be faster than it was from the factory. Oh, wow. Cool. That sounds interesting. I feel like there's a lot of synergies right now between you and my dad, except my dad took the other route. He became the photographer and he does the <laughs> mechanical engineering stuff for fun. And you did like the opposite. Um, so what, did, what were some of the things that you learned um, in these early jobs that you had um, that have kind of like helped you, um, you know, in your journey? I, so it's funny. I, I, um, I, again, like I, I knew I was going to start a business. I knew that's where I wanted to go. And I always felt like these things were training. And I just, I just, it wasn't funny. I wasn't like a, a, uh, um, a conscious thought. It was just an assumption. Like, I know what I'm here doing. I'm here to learn. And then I'm, mm-hmm. sure I'm going to apply that. Like, I just knew it. It's, it's, it's a good perspective to have. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, at, at those earlier jobs, they were small businesses and, and I really watched how they were run. Um, and, you know, you could see the potential that was there and then the missed potential because the team wasn't aligned because the leadership wasn't right because there were, there was just, uh, there were some missed opportunities there. Um, you know, that, that I, that I really was keenly aware of. <laughs> like what kind of opportunities? Um, you know, I think if, if, um, it's hard, it's hard to get into too much details on it, to be honest with you, but, <laughs> uh, I just think when you have an, an entire team who's all feeling um, passion for something and all want it, it to succeed at the same level, and, and there's that, that shared um, uh, motivation, that's an unstoppable force. Uh, and I didn't see that at the places I was working in that. And it, it was, you know, so much fragmentation and people pulling different directions and um, there just wasn't the bind that was needed. Mm-hmm. And when, where did you first experience that bind? And you're like, this is what was missing. Um, Oh, where did I see it actually? Did I see it work? Maybe? Yeah. Or did you create it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, well, so my first job, I was, uh, it was a 10 person company. I was there for two years. I saw 10 people come and go in those two years to give mm. you an example. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, definitely a challenging work environment. And I, I think one thing I learned though, from the, you know, the person I ran that business was that the stubbornness he had, and this is on flip side, you know, that, that caused some of that, but also things that seemed impossible happened. Mm. Um, you know, and that was really incredible to see, you know, in myself too, I'd say that's, that's not going to work. We're not going to be able to do this. The timeline's too short, whatever it was. And it would, it would happen. And that was, that was astounding to see how much uh, could get done with, you know, with the right level of dedication and stubbornness, maybe, um, yeah. you know, but I left uh, the automotive fields to pursue design um, more broadly. And, and as I was doing the car stuff, I was moonlighting as a web designer and doing those kinds of things to try to exercise that part. Um, and I, I was able to pull all that together at a, a consultancy called IDEO, um, which is design consultancy um, and innovation consultancy. So um, that was an, an entirely different experience that that did show the power of having a, you know, a team that was motivated, uh, empowered, uh, you know, excited to work together and just, you know, the general enthusiasm and confidence. Um, just 180 was amazing. That's awesome. So that's definitely a switch going into design, um, you know, and, and what was some, what were some of the, you know, experiences that you had there um, that have helped you in your business? You know, honestly, um, so much. They, they, there's one thing is, you know, they, their process they have, um, which has been honed over years and years is really a, just a really pragmatic user insight driven design process. Uh, and so, I always operate on intuition and that's really empowering. That is fun to design through intuition, but um, it's, it's so much more impressive when you're wrong and, and, and you, you've done enough research to learn like, I really think it's this, but now I know it's that, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's an amazing moment when you can, to me, that's like the next tier of, of design. Um, and, and within design, by the way, I think I'm thinking product design, which includes physical things, includes, you know, experiences, includes interfaces, like all of those things I think fit into this, this broader design category. Um, so that, that was one thing. I think, you know, another skill that I learned when I was there, when I first arrived, um, everyone there was such incredible communicators. And as in a consultant, that's part of your job, right? And I, and I think we also saw that for our ideas to come to life and, and, um, and be real, uh, you know, it really came down to us being able to pitch it well and get that other large corporation on board and excited and keep it moving. So it was such an essential piece of what we did. And it, to me, it was, I'd never done that. It was an entirely new skill set. Uh, and it was really, really hard for me. And I took, I took classes, you know, I, I hustled to try to get good at this thing. It didn't come naturally. Um, 
But the ability to to do that has been incredibly powerful for me for the rest of my career. And what kind of communication specifically are you referring to? Are you referring to kind of like a persuasion that you were able to pick up on and kind of learn or, or what can you kind of describe the communication? It's not a persuasion. I think it's, I mean, it, it's, um, you know, for example, like being able to run a room of 20 people for three hours. Yes. Um, that's hard. Right. <laughs> and, and and when you're nervous, it gets a lot harder. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. <Sounds> uh, like <laughs> torture. <laughs> and so, you know, coming into this, you know, 28 year old, however old I was and, you know, really not having that confidence, that was a really yeah. challenging thing for me. And I had to get, um, really deliberate to, to learn how to get better at that. So it's both mm. the in-person, you know, orchestrating, um, you know, groups working together, keeping focus, getting things done, moving forward, that kind of in-person in thing, um, which a lot of that is confidence. Uh, and then also, you know, there's a, the other facet of it is really on the, the storytelling side uh, and being able to put together a, a presentation along with other elements to tell a compelling story, to make people feel what you feel. Hmm. Um, and that's, um, that's, that's the other half of it. It's interesting you mentioned um, being nervous. I think, you know, I definitely struggled with being nervous in public speaking for a very long time. Yep. And so I'm wondering, how did you overcome it? I mean, you were just like thrown into this and basically had to do a three hour presentation or something. And I mean, so what did you learn, um, I guess, in, in becoming a better public speaker or more confident? Um, I, I, it, it, there's no, I wish there was like a moment where it's like, ah, it unlocked and now I've got it. You know, it was, a, it was just doing it over and over and over again. Um, I think one of the fundamental things I learned is that, uh, your confidence drives confidence people you're with. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it's a slippery slope. Once you start to lose and do the display that you're, you know, your, your lack of comfort and confidence that spreads like fire. And so, um, you know, just maintaining the room in that environment is really important. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's just, it's also really just, just doing it over and over again. And I just slowly yeah. got a little bit better at it. And I'm still, you know, mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that um, an element of practice and, and being super prepared helps build that confidence too. So that when you go and you present, you feel super ready because you're probably over prepared, but hell, at least you're not nervous because you know exactly how it's going to go down. Oh, it's a lot easier when you know your stuff. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't procrastinate if you're nervous, you know, it just makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, um, that sounds like you, you learned a lot of like storytelling skills and, um, presentation skills, communication skills there. Um, after IDEO, where'd you go from there? Um, so I started a, a company with my wife, uh, called Quinn foods. And, mm -hmm. um, that's a, a snack brand that you find in just about every grocery store at this point, I would say. Um, but you know, we, we built that company over almost 10 years. Wow. Um, and so, um, you know, started off with a Kickstarter, you know, the, the, you know, in that time, really what it looked like, and that was kind of really early stage, you know, it didn't have any funding contacts. That was not part of my world at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was just so excited to make a brand from scratch and, and to make something that, that mattered and felt great. And it, yeah, it was a great moment. That's awesome. So, I mean, 10 years is a long time to spend on a company and, you know, yep. build a brand, especially in the food space. What were some of the challenges that you guys faced early on in building the brand? Um, I mean, it's so many, how long is the show? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, I think fundamentally it was lack of experience. Honestly, I, I hate to say that. And I would like to say like, you can walk into something without knowing anything, as long as you, you know, have the right intentions, it's going to work out. We made a lot of mistakes early on that uh, I think if it were a second time around, we'd make, we wouldn't have done that. Um, but, um, I think, um, but we kept, kept it going, you know, and, 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 and kept it together and kept moving forward and built it bigger every single year. Uh, mm -hmm. and so, you know, even with that, so still, still got it there. Um, what were some of those things that you wish you knew? Um, I mean, everything ranging from like the mechanics of the food industry, which are incredibly complex, uh, mm -hmm. and like with retail and things like that with, yeah, I mean, we just, we don't sell to a customer. We sell to a distributor, sells to a grocery store, sells to a customer. Uh, and there's a very complex system of chargebacks and, you know, other things that, that account for that, that really impact your business in a huge way. So those having handled those mechanics and modeling those, uh, those mechanics into your financials is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is, 
I, you know, this, this brings up one of the, the moments I had too, you know, early on at, at Quinn, where I was so excited to start a business and I thought I would love every piece of it. Um, and I got there, you know, really quickly. It didn't take very long. It's like, there's some parts of this I'm not very good at. <laughs> and, and I, and I don't really like them either, you know? And so there was, there are, it's just interesting that it's so much bigger than I imagined it to be. And there's no way you could spend all of it, you know, being fully competent and fully engaged. Um, so that was a surprise to me. Yeah, there's definitely always a lots of surprises, I think, in any company that you try to build. Um, but especially if it's your first time building a brand, I'm sure there's a lot even more there. So um, what were some of the, the things that you learned, I guess, probably a lot that have helped you in, in your, your company now? I mean, I, I mean, I hate to say things that people, you've heard before, but I, I can say it from very, very direct experience is that the team is everything. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, that's a, a, you know, a, a direct continuous thought from, I can't do everything. I'm not even good at some of this. <laughs> right. then, you know, that, that leads straight into how, how essential it is to have an incredible team around you. Um, and, you know, we, we did, we had pieces of that at times for sure. Um, but I don't think we nurtured it the way we could have and, and maintained it the way we could have. So that, you know, there was definitely some learnings there, but We'll get right back to our show, but first, a word from our sponsors. Having a great Shopify developer is so important for brands selling online, but finding and hiring a trusted and talented developer is really hard to do, especially for ongoing projects. That's why over 30,000 brands and founders have trusted StoreTasker, including Type A Brands and Hawk Media, who have been guests on the show. StoreTasker has interviewed over 5,000 Shopify developers, hand-selected the top 5%, and streamlined the hiring experience from end-to-end so you don't have to. Whether you're a founder that's just getting started or a brand doing over $30 million in revenue, StoreTasker has a developer for you. Get introduced to your next Shopify developer for free and get 10% off your first project at storetasker.com slash stairway to CEO. That's storetasker.com slash stairway to CEO. ShipBob is a tech-enabled 3PL that offers simple, fast, and affordable fulfillment. Unlike most 3PLs that lack sophisticated intuitive tools and use outdated methods, ShipBob's technology is modern, intelligent, and designed to give you full transparency over your backend operations. Fulfillment is incredibly time-intensive, so just hand it over to the best of the best. With a network of fulfillment centers across the globe with new locations continuously underway, ShipBob lets you split inventory across locations to reduce shipping costs and transit times. Get your products picked, packed, and shipped, and earn $500 in free shipping credits by going to shipbob.com slash stairway to CEO. That's shipbob.com slash stairway to CEO. What advice do you have for hiring and managing, maintaining a great team? Um, I think, you know, uh, something I did very differently at, at Sunday was, was I was more aware of, of uh, where I have uh, blind spots and I made sure to find the right people and right person in, in a lot of ways that could help fill in, fill those in, um, you know, and, and uh, that helped a lot to know what I can and can't do. Um, <clears throat> so that's, I mean, I, I think being honest with yourself is, is, is one of the steps to building your early team and your smaller team. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I mean, after that, I think, I think it's just about like, just not going too fast with hiring and, uh, you know, going through all of the motions and not, not, uh, um, falling head over heels too fast, check references, do it all, you know, be yeah. sure. Yeah. Don't make too many assumptions too early. Yeah. Hire slow, fire fast, I guess is what they say. That's right. right. Yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> um, so Here's what are some of the. Button. What are some of the red flags you've seen that you're like looking back, you're like, oh, that was such a red flag. And if I would have just knew that that was what it was, maybe I could have saved myself a little bit here. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think. I, I wouldn't put red flags on the interviewee. I think for us, like sometimes, and this has happened throughout my life, but, you know, trying to solve a problem with a hire. And, you know, if, if something is, uh, you know, a burning um, issue and, and, it's, and it's really something that needs to be fixed right away, hiring someone probably isn't the right move for that, I think, um, because that's going to put you in a position where, um, you know, you're at a, um, 
you're under so much pressure to move so quickly that you're more likely to make a mistake. Um, I don't know. I, I think I've, I've found that in that situation, we got to at least put the fire out first and then figure out how we think about this part of the company in a, uh, you know, a larger scale. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I've heard about that before, but I haven't heard anyone say that on the show, um, which is, yes, don't try to solve a problem with a hire. Um, that's a very good perspective to have. <laughs> yep. um, try to put out the fire first and then make the hire. I mean, these are all kind of things I think where you hear them, you're like, well, obviously, but you know, when right. you're in the moment, it feels a lot different. A hundred percent. So actually yeah. on that, can is there an example you can give? So maybe the listeners can kind of have an idea as to like what we're talking about here um i can give an, an example from from current day at, at sunday yeah. you know i think uh um there's a there's an adage that um this is this is on the other side of understanding your weaknesses and, and making sure you fill those gaps the other side would be um understand um not understand but you know there's an adage that where a ceo or a founder has a lot of depth and strength and, and a lot of interest to be engaged that company ends up being pretty weak in those spots um, because they just take that on. They say, well, you know, I can do that, that part of it. We, we don't need to hire that part. And so then all of a sudden you get to a scale where you haven't developed that muscle at all, except for leaning on yourself and that's no longer functional. Um, and so, uh, we've definitely seen some of that at Sunday and, and, uh, and product is one. So product being for us is a little complicated because it's also, it's digital and physical product intertwined. Um, and really, you know, to build that department, um, we, it's, it's been a challenge on the management side to be able to take ideas all the way through the entire development process um, in a way that, you know, in, in enables and, um, uh, you know, uh, helps the entire team to focus. And um, we wanted to hire to fix that. But like really thinking through product for a company like Sunday is a major endeavor. It's not, it's, if we hire one person, it's so unlikely that they're going to be the right person and build the future of product at Sunday, unless we really thought it through and understand it. So mm-hmm. um, that's an example for us. So we didn't make that hire, by the way. So that that's an example we 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 kind of learned from previous lessons, I guess. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so you know, you spent ten years at Quinn Snacks, um, and how far did you take the business? Um, so my my wife runs the business now, um, and it's um, you know it's 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 now you know a national brand in every store, and, and getting closer to becoming um, you know a pantry staple kind of thing. So. Um, just done incredible work there. And, you know, as that, that company developed, it's interesting, you know, what we thought it was day one ended up being something pretty different. Um, still the same kinds of products, I would say. But, it, you know, as we dug into food and how it's made and where it comes from, um, we just got, you know, pulled into agriculture and where it, where it all starts um, and how it's grown and what the impact of that is, uh, not just on the health of the person eating it, but the health of that community and, 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 and the environment. So um, that's what, you know, through those 10 years just got really, really, um, you know, rich in our lives and we, we dove into. So that's, um, also what ended up leading to Sunday. Yeah. I would love to hear the story. So can you go into and tell us the the story of maybe the aha moment that you had, um, where you're like, I'm, I really want to do this. Oh, and wifey, by the way, I'm going to, you do this. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I guess real quick before I get into where somebody came from, I think the, the yeah. reason why that split was 100% okay is, is one, the company was in a good position. And so that makes it a lot easier. And the other is that, yeah. um, you know, as we, we started with equal passion and my wife's passion for food is just ended up being so much stronger than mine. Hmm. Uh, and, the, you know, this is, she's not CEO of a company. This is, this is her life and her obsession and her life's work, you know? And so, yeah. um, that evolved over time and it was very clear, like, this is hers. This is a hundred percent. And that <laughs> honestly, in that it, uh, you know, over those 10 years and all the challenges, um, that's what has made it successful. I mean, I think anybody else would have in their right mind would have quit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, so that made the, you know, that separation just logical really. Um, mm. but you know, the way it happened is I have, um, we've got three boys, um, a dog, finally we're able, um, to have a house, a little yard. And I'm literally in a local home improvement store, you know, excited to care for my yard after having been in fields with farmers and growers for years and talking to them about their practices and can you not use neonics and, you know, just really getting into the details of how agriculture should work. Mm. Um, and then they're ready to take care of my own little plot of land, looking at those pallet racks stacked high with bags of, uh, you know, different forms of pesticides, essentially. And you can smell right. it from 30 feet away. 
Um, yeah. And I just, I just had like the, the, the contrast to say, this feels really wrong. Mm -hmm. why, why is it, why does it look like this? And, you know, maybe there's a good reason, but that doesn't seem like it. And so I just started to dig in and learn. Um, and as I did, you know, what came out of that is that uh, our backyards are actually our third largest crop by land area. There's 40 mm. million acres of yards. Um, wow. So it's tied with wheat. And, you know, that's, that's uh, 10 times more than all the organic farms combined. So, you, you know, if you're thinking about impact on an agricultural scale, this is a huge piece of it. And then yeah. uh, when you look at the kind of cultural practices on lawn care and, and property care, they're, they're so far out of date. Um, a, a managed lawn in the U.S. gets something like five times more pesticides per acre than an industrial farm. That's uh, crazy. Why is that? Um, the products know, that are available to consumers rather than it's no, it's, it's, a, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I, I would say one of them is a knowledge gap, you know, a typical person in their home doesn't know anything about, uh, the plant science and, and I didn't either. Right. And so right. you're looking for the most powerful thing you can pick out. And so the, w the way we care for our properties is we cover the entire thing in pesticides, mm. pesticide in that, that covers herbicides and insecticides. Um, we cover our entire property in, in herbicides and insecticides a few times a year, just in case you might have a problem. Right. right. When, you, when, you, when you're at an agricultural scale, you can't operate that way. I mean, from a cost reason, you can't, but also just because it, it's just way overkill and like in many acres. So um, it's just like a, a brute force kill it all kind of approach. Mm -hmm. um, and that's become norm and that's, that's just stuck around. And really it's also a space where there's been no real emerging brands or innovation um, in half a century or so. And why do you think that is? I think it's because you have to go up against the big guys, right? Like, I guess, you know, one of the things that comes up to in my mind is like Roundup, obviously, but um, yep. there's probably there's so many other types of huge companies that you have to go up against that don't want you to win, right? <laughs> like, I would assume it's sure. no, very I, challenging. I think everyone likes the space being owned, you know, or, or people who own it like it yeah. being owned by them. Um, I mean, Roundup's a good example. So there's uh, about 40,000 lawsuits right now. Um, they're working on a $10 billion settlement uh, because of its potential ties to terminal cancer. Mm -hmm. right? And that would be the third largest ever consumer goods settlement in the U.S., number one being cigarettes. So you know, this is a, a massive seismic thing, but you go to your local yeah. store and what you see is you see shelves and shelves of Roundup. Um, yes. My dad yeah. still uses it and doesn't know yeah. why he shouldn't use it. So <laughs> yes, let's speak about this. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's a really, it's a really strange thing. It's almost like a time capsule. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing affects the space as others have. Um, mm -hmm. But um, you no, know, there, there's a, there's a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, I think um, I, I get really excited about the DIY space and enabling people to do more on their own. Um, I, I think that's an, an incredible thing when you get someone to go take an action uh, that's so much, so much more of a meaningful relationship with that customer than it is to provide them a service, you, you know, do something like that. So we're, we're getting people from, from, you know, a position where they have very, very low confidence to getting out there, getting their hands dirty, taking care of something, getting the results. Like that's an amazing transformation that they go through. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I, I do think in the, in a traditional startup VC funded world, this, um, the idea of serving kind of the more um, typical American household that's going on and with their lawnmower and mowing their lawn is not exactly been the center. Um, but I, I think they're starting to see that now. Yeah. So you have this conversation, I guess, with your wife, like, you know, you're doing great over here <laughs> and um, I'm just going to let you run with that. I've got this other idea. And, and what were some of the first things that you did to kind of maybe validate the concept or test it, or, you know, what were the f first steps? Um, yeah. You know, it, it was a feverish, a uh, few months in the early part of what can this be? Um, and I think, you know, early on noticing first attacking this problem or, or seeing the problem from the lens of um, this is really toxic and, and we should, we should not <laughs> make it not so um, that, that didn't, that's not what Sunday became, right? That, that was really just, I guess the, the end point of that would be a modern branded product with better ingredients. Um, but Sunday's a lot more than that. And I think what we ended up doing is talking to tons and tons of people. And this goes back to my, my days at, design consultancy of really trying to learn a problem, not to use your own intuition. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that everyone said the same thing that I thought, which was like, I I'm a little different. I don't know a lot about this, um, you know, lawn care that is. And so I, what I recognize is that the entire United States is walking around feeling like they're the only one that doesn't know about this because they're supposed to, because they're a man or they, you know, are all grown up now or whatever it is. That's kind of not how knowledge works. Uh, and so 
um, that ended up being a focal point where um, that was an incredibly valuable thing we delivered to the customer was confidence. Uh, you know, that, that changes the experience entirely. So that's, we ended up saying, well, this is actually a much more powerful uh, moment we can deliver to our customers and a vehicle to be able to you know, get the better in there as well without the pesticide, things like that. Uh, so we did research, um, we formed that idea. And what's amazing is after that was formed, that is still true today. And it's, it, for me to have something you know, last this long with this clear of a direction is, uh, you know, usually you're, you're adapting and learning. This is still absolutely on target, which is amazing. Um, but then in our first year, we did we did testing and we, we did more to, to learn from our customers and to get the product right. So when you were in that phase of learning um, the problem and spending time, you know, talking to potential customers about this, um, what was kind of your, I guess, framework for that kind of process? Like, do you have a, a certain number of people you would recommend talking to about it? Um, did you do a survey? Like, what did it kind of look like? Uh, we did both. We talked to a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people in our network for the most part, right? And then some people who were not. Um, and then we also did some surveys. We we put up a fake Sunday website, um, and I mean it was I guess real in one sense that the difference is that when you went to go buy something, when you got the end of that funnel, it said sorry, it's not for sale, but you can take a survey. Um, hmm. And we ended up getting thousands of people taking that survey. Um, so you put because, up a, like a, a, like a totally fake site, not just like an ad that brought you to a landing page and was like, Hey, sign up for our newsletter. It was like, here's actual product and the pricing and check out and put in your credit card and go to process it. And oops, sorry. Yeah, no, so we didn't take credit card information. So when, when okay. we could have entered credit card info is when we, when we said, oh, sorry. Free order. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, all the packaging was wrong. It was all just, you know, um, mock-ups and things like that, but uh, yeah, so we could they could learn about a the conversion funnel, getting people from like a social platform and getting them on the site, how they behave, and then um, and then eventually the you know the survey results were also really empowering and to understand. Okay, you just went through that. What did you see? What was exciting? What wasn't exciting? What you know? How do you think about these kinds of things? It was a a long. I think it was like eight minutes to complete the survey. Like really long, um, but a lot of rich data. But honestly, I think in the conversation, so that was really important and valuable. But um, I think in, in 10 or so deep hour long conversations, you can learn a ton about a space and what's missing and what's broken. Um, and what's just regular people. I mean, people who are obviously engaged in that area, but um, you know, take 10 random homeowners and talk to them about their lawn for an hour. Um, and a lot of things are going to come up and you learn a lot. And that, that's what we did. That's really interesting. And, you know, with this whole funnel, I think it's so fascinating because, you know, when you're really excited about a vision or idea that you have, I think most entrepreneurs want to just follow the intuition. They're like, I don't really like, let's just do this because it sounds awesome and I want to just do it. Yeah. Um, but you really took the time to test to see if you were wrong and create this fake website with mock-ups and stuff like that. Um, and, and I assume do a lot of social media ads to drive traffic to the website. Um, what, how much did you, how much time did you spend doing that, um, running those campaigns and how much money do you think you spent on those ad campaigns? Um, I was going to say real quick too. I, I think the reason why you don't want to test things is that you're vulnerable. That, yes. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. You don't so be that's, wrong. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't want to be wrong. And so, uh, but I think when you recognize that and you're like, I know I'm, I'm not feeling like just understanding and unpacking that a little bit helps you mm -hmm. go and test it and try to learn. And yeah. And, because I think when you think about it, it's like, well, I'm going to find something good here. You know, like it may not right. be exactly what I thought it was, but it's going to be something wonderful as I learn. Um, and so, um, yeah, the, uh, we spent a year um, not just doing that, but also beta testing product. And so it started off with that. Uh, but then we also took um, some of those people who did the surveys and had them try um, our approach to, to lawn care, which is fundamentally different. I mean, you know, on this there's one, there's kind of the narrative and story side of what we're, how we're changing the space. There's the, the technology we built, but there's also the products themselves, which are, um, you know, liquid, um, synthetics mis mixed with organics, like a different kind of fertilizer in a pouch for the first time, hose on, like we were changing a million different things at once. And so it was really important for us to get people to try it out. Yeah. Uh, so we had a hundred people across the U S two, two interns, um, from CU who were fantastic. Um, and then my brother joined me as well. And he's, he's, uh, he's, he's now a uh, co-founder of the company and, um, which is really exciting for me too. That's very cool. So yeah. you had a hundred beta testers across the country to test out the first versions of the product. Is that accurate? Yes, accurate. Yes. Awesome. Yep. And so I assume, and how did you get these beta testers? Was this from the survey? Hey, if you want to be a beta tester, let us know. 
It's actually we actually use that as as the uh, the bait to get people to take the survey. Uh, so you know we're accepting a small number of people for a beta test. If you want to be considered, do the survey. So um, I'm sure that covered the data a little bit, um, but I think after eight minutes, people are <laughs> probably telling the truth on the survey. Yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting. You know, I feel like you're like, who would want a beta test for free? Who has time for that? You know, but there's actually a lot of people out there that like to be early adopters um, of companies and test things out. Is that what you found? Were you kind of impressed by the response? Very, yeah, we had far, far more than we could deal with. And, you know, going into it too, I, I'll say like in that, in January of that year, I was, um, I was writing like the, the local um, uh, heads of the, you know, Audubon Society and all these other outdoor things, just looking, I, I was terrified of like, how am I going to find these people? I don't, I, I need to find people who have their own networks and then I can pitch to them. And then, you know, I, I was trying to find any way I could um, because I had low confidence too in, in finding that group. It ended up being, um, going really well. Uh, and we, you know, we used, we did use Facebook for a lot of that, you know, to be in total transparency, um, you know, the, and it was a good test. I think, um, you know, paid, paid marketing on Facebook has its, has its place for sure. And that was a very effective use of it. And so when you did that initial um, kind of fake website, you know, drawing, um, trying to see how many convert um, in the checkout, basically, like how many people get to the point where they're actually checking out and want to buy your product. Um, can you share some of the numbers around that and what kind of, I guess, was like, oh, we have something here. People are actually, you know, wanting to buy this product and this is enough number wise for us to continue to go down this path. Yeah. So, uh, I'll share a bit of a story there too. So at first I was, again, the main channel here being using Facebook to drive, drive the traffic and put the ads up. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I originally created those campaigns myself and it was a platform I wasn't familiar with learning from scratch. Yeah. And, uh, we had leads coming in at, um, $7, you know, we we're looking at conversion metrics across other e-com businesses and like, is that going to map out? God, it doesn't sound so, so good. You know, it really was, it was looking a little rough. Um, you know, but again, eternal optimism, keep going. We're going to figure it out. Uh, and then we ended up bringing on a consultant who um, was just really fantastic and obviously had tons of experience in the space. And we brought from $7 to 40 cents, you know, so it, it fundamentally changed um, when someone who knew how to use the platform was in charge. Um, <laughs> right. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And so that's, you know, we were able to, through those basic, people weren't making purchases, so they're still unknowns, but get a general sense of, people are, are interested in this, you know, it, yeah. it's crossing some thresholds where, um, you know, we're not just doing it brute force. People are actually interested. And what do you say to the founders who are thinking like, mm, you know, I know I should do this. I should do this kind of testing, but I don't want to get my idea out there. What if someone steals it? Oh, <laughs> There's that yeah. hesitation, right? Especially <laughs> in, in industries where, you know, maybe like food or drinks or other kind of industries where it feels really, really competitive and maybe noisy. Do you still suggest that they maybe do the same thing or is it maybe um, industry specific? I, I think, you know, I, um, there's so many different answers to that. I think, for, you know, I think generally speaking, people are are more worried about than they should be. Um, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know what the old saying is basically like, you don't try people stealing your ideas. You got to shove it down their throat kind of thing. And that's, that's generally right. true. It's ideas it's, um, are cheap. You know, there's a lot of things. Yeah. yeah all, 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 of, all of them. Yeah. I've just been down the road enough to know that like if, if someone, you know, shares a great idea with me, I'm like, that's neat, but I don't have the next six years of my life to, to devote yeah. to that, you know, and, yeah. and, and like, all the energy and passion. Yeah. So it's, um, <laughs> so there, there is that, but I will say, you know, with Sunday people did, um, immediately even, you know, and so, and so that, that happened. Um, hmm. and it was still worth doing that testing. It was the only way we were able to have enough data to get the right funding, to move at the pace we needed to move. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, we could have delayed them knowing about it by six months, um, not worth it. That, that's that six months wasn't as valuable as the data we got out of it. Yeah. Awesome. So you did these tests. You're like, we're doing this. You spent a year, um, you know, I guess kind of maybe testing this out. Um, you built creating the product. What was the product development process like? Um, I was, it was pretty challenging to be honest with you because in this space in food, there's an established network of, of producers and there's just such an infrastructure there and mm -hmm. systems in place. Uh, whereas in, in our space, again, nothing had happened in 50 years. And so trying to find, uh, you know, the right manufacturing partners and things like that is, you know, they weren't used to new, <laughs> new customers and, right. and those kinds of things, especially 
uh, people without without a track record. So um, <laughs> it was challenging for sure to get that in place. That took that took time, mm-hmm. um, and we learned. We actually learned a lot through the beta test. You know, we were doing a lot of things the beta test. Where we thought we're this is just like this is just for the beta test. We just need to get this done, um, and then some of those pieces stuck around. Like what? Um, like our our supplier for our plastic pouches. Like in our soil test right now, the the actual tool we give you to dig the dirt um, is a tent stake. Uh, and that was something we found in beta test. Like, okay, it looks kind of like a shovel and it works. Let's just do it. And <laughs> it actually works great. And it's the best thing we could have found, but at the time it felt very temporary. Um, right. and so pieces of our supply chain got solved all the way back then. Um, yeah, so it was definitely challenging getting the product together. Um, but I, uh, you know, the, the first, so Trent, my brother joined and then, um, uh, we brought on our VP of ops who is, um, just an incredible all-star uh, who, you know, was able, again, with, with the blind spots, that's an area where I know I'm not strong. Um, and he was able to do it better than I could have ever imagined and, and get the supply chain together and, and make it all work, um, figure out all the complexities of that. So um, that said, you know, we were still operating probably six months-ish behind what would be a reasonable timeline. Uh, and so when we did ship our first box uh, in 2019, it was two weeks late to those customers, people were really unhappy. Uh, and we were, we were kind of fighting our supply chain that entire first year. Yeah. I feel like that always happens. I think everybody's always late, you know, with their yeah, customers, yeah. the first shipment, never on time. You say it's not going to be you, but yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen to us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you launched in April, 2019, you've had eight X growth in 2020. Um, you raised a very big round. You've raised $29 million so far from very, very, um, uh, high profile investors. Can you kind of walk through what fundraising has been like, um, through all the different phases? I know you just closed your series B, so you raised quite a bit in between. Um, yes. Yeah. So, um, I can run through the, the kind of different milestones there. Yeah. When, when we were doing that beta testing, um, in 2018, partway through that, we, we did get pre-seed funding. Um, and that was through, you know, people in my network from the food world who were, who were really focused on, um, the environmental impact and making the world a better place. And, and yeah. you know, people, people that I really wanted to work with and just have such admiration for, mm-hmm. um, and I was able to, to make, I needed that to happen fast. You know, we needed to get it done. We needed to keep moving. Uh, and so they got a really good deal, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I knew at the time it ended up being true and it was hundred percent worth it. And I'm so glad it worked out that way. And I have them as part of it. Yeah. Um, and that enabled us, um, you know, just to kind of complete that testing, really get the data we needed to be able to, to verify uh, more of the business. Um, and then we raised a, um, a seed round, um, in January, 2019 from forerunner. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll give them credit, you know, to the moon. They were, they've, they've been amazing uh, ever since then, but, um, even before, you know, this was lawn care. Um, it, it yeah. was not a, uh, not an idea that people were you know waiting to have come across their desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but, um, you know, Brian O'Malley from Forerunner, um, he flew out three days after I talked to him initially, you know, like wow. he, he, un- he understood the potential. He knew what it was. He knew the space needed, needed something new. Um, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of people I talked to were kind of like, yeah, no one does their own lawn care. And I was like, I know you and your friends don't, but a lot of people do. Right. So, um, I will give a ton of credit to, to Brian for that and, and, uh, you know, being a great partner since then. Um, and so they, you know, they came into our seed round then you know, prior to us having sold anything, um, <clears throat> Uh, then we had in 2019 launch, we had a really great launch in 2019, really good traction, good data, you know, ops and things were a challenge, but typical first year stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in August of that year, um, uh, we took in capital from Tusk Ventures. Um, that is a, um, they're out of New York and I'm sure people are familiar, familiar with them. They're um, just such an incredible group with like uh, depth and expertise in, in legal and PR and marketing and, and uh, just so lucky to have them on board. And the space we're in is actually highly um, um, litigious and uh, regulated and very complex to navigate. Um, it's actually like one of our core competencies is, is, is navigating um, all, all of these legal frameworks that we have to, in hoops you have to jump through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were great to bring on. And then, uh, then lastly, you know, bringing on Sequoia, uh, last year, um, and, and you know, can't say enough about about their group. I, I can I'll share one one brief um, story about that. Is 
you know, what really struck me talking to Sequoia was that I had a lot of conversations. Um, people were kind of, you know, you're, you're going to crush it up into the right. And this this kind of, you know, um, this kind of talk, which I've, I've just been doing this for too long for that. <laughs> to um, know that that's not always <laughs> the case. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, you know, and, and uh, you know, without knowing me and knowing what I needed to hear, you know, their, their take was, this is going to be really hard, but that's what we're good at. Um, and it's just such a, such a powerful angle to come at it from. You wow. know, that's exactly right. And that's exactly what I need. I need people in my corner. Um, so <clears throat> yeah. And, and just huge fans of, of them and Stephanie from, from Sequoia. Amazing. So that's what they said to you. They were like, we know that this is going to be hard, but that's what we're good at is supporting founders that do really hard things. Yes. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's pretty rare that any fund says that they're kind of like glad it's going great and easy breezy. That's what we want. Where do we write the check? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was a lot of the contrast in, in that kind of language. It was great. That's awesome. And so with Sequoia and Forerunner, I mean, these are amazing funds. How did you, you know, get in? Is it the warm intro situation Were they open to cold emails? You know, what was some of your fundraising process like? Um, I, I would say like, this is a new world for me, you know, so, so at Quinn, we have amazing investors there as well, but very, very hard fought. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, having these kind of top tier investment partners is, uh, I feel incredibly lucky to have that. Mm -hmm. Um, but no matter what someday was going to happen and, and it, you know, it, we were going to fight for it and find the people that believed in it and just keep going and make it work. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, um, I think that was the underpinning behind all of this. And this is a bit of a, you know, wasn't plan A, I would say. Um, and so, you know, Forerunner, for example, was um, an introduction to an associate from a friend of mine. Um, and I really didn't know how the call went. And <laughs> just kind of thought, well, that would have been really neat, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, and they understood it, right? They, they, got, they got what I was doing, um, mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible. And that, that's after like many, many failures, right? So that's, it, it's not failures, but a lot of conversations people did, didn't understand it and didn't see where it was going. So that's, that's always part of the process. Right. Um, so, um, no, I think, um, I think we're, we're just really fortunate to, to have people see what we see. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, for fundraising, you just get so many no's, um, it can get really frustrating for a lot of founders. Um, so I know that they, um, I think listeners always like to hear some advice on that, you know, cause they think at the end of the day, it's also kind of a numbers game. Um, you know, the more, more investors you can kind of reach out to the more you'll get a little bit of a better response. But if you're very narrow focused, um, I also think a lot of times investors in meetings, it's, it's, you kind of get excited as a founder, like, Oh, they're digging in, they're asking questions or blah, blah, blah. And it's very easy to think and be optimistic about investor meetings. Cause by nature, founders are optimistic. Um, but the reality of most of those meetings is nine out of 10 are going to be a no. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I actually, so in the early days of building the office, I was sharing is with the fund here in Boulder, um, who are some friends of mine and, and I would, be on the other side and, and watch it, you know, the companies they were talking to and, and see that. Yeah. And I don't envy their position either. I mean, it's when, when you have something, I think in the early stages, you know, where I was pre-series A, you've got to really believe. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's not, if you start using the logical side of your brain, the answer is always no. Right. Um, <laughs> it's and, so true. And, yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think that's, um, I don't know, you almost can't, you can't blame that, that trepidation, I think. It, right. It makes sense. It's kind of because it's um, once you understand how, you know, these funds are structured um, and what their job really is in terms of uh, return multiple on the investment from their LPs, <laughs> you start to realize, you know, they're looking for very, they're checking specific boxes um, for their own. I think they are. I also think, what, you know, one, one piece of advice I give to, to uh, entrepreneurs who are starting out too is that um, they don't know a lot that you don't know. Uh, you know, I think the, there's a temptation when you get that note to say like, well, they've seen so much, you know, there, there, there must be something fundamentally wrong here. They see that I don't see. Mm. Um, I think that attitude has probably destroyed some incredible, you know, Apple scale companies. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the reality is they're going on their gut, which is calibrated different than your gut. And, and only, you know, your company as well as, you know, no one knows your company as well as you do. So, um, I guess just, just don't take it. <laughs> or they're not even going off of gut. They're going on off of like a quantitative analysis, 
which is, um, you know, maybe if they use some more gut, <laughs> they would have said yes. I, think that I, I don't know if there is in quantitative. I mean, sometimes there is. I think a lot of that is smoke and mirrors. I think it's pattern yeah. recognition for the most part. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, and like they're wrong a lot more than they're right. Um, yes. on the yeses and the nos. So yes. it's just important to remember that, I guess. That's a very good point. Remember that they are wrong more often than they're right because you're you're 100% right. That'll make you feel a lot better when they say no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about one of your most challenging moments um, since launching Sunday and how you overcame it. Um, and this should be... <laughs> trying to think of, of where to be where to start or which one to focus on you know i think at uh when we launched in 2019 we were shipping really late people were really upset with us and canceling um and you know we had a customer service team that was way under scale undersized so all of us are trying to help with the customer service to get some really angry customers and um that was challenging that was scary you know it was right at the beginning your, your first step is a, is a trip yeah, um, your first so, <laughs> day and you're already pissing off customers. It's just great yeah. feeling. <laughs> so we had we had pre-orders, right? And so we we you know we needed to fulfill on those, but we were taking too long to do that. Um that's a major that was a major, you know, thing to get through and honestly just sweat it out and keep going. There was no other way to get through that but to just keep on keeping on. Um I think um yeah, you know, I think there's a lot. I think we're we're learning we're we're kind of um as any company is uh, shining light on, you know, what is and isn't possible every single day and, and learning as we go. Um, and so that's, that's, that always presents challenges. Um, you know, as for us, uh, we originally, the original tech stack that we, we started with is one that I built with the team in India from like 12 at night to three in the morning kind of thing. And, uh, I'm not good at that. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't and the output wasn't good. Um, and so we had to, to work through something that was very unstable very unoptimized um, for a period of time. That was challenging too. Yeah. Optimization. I mean, it takes some time to get there, I guess, you know, you, it's pretty manual in the beginning. So you kind of deal with those growing pains. Plenty of growing pains. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, being a founder involves an incredible amount of persistence. Um, what's your why and what keeps you going? Um, I came to this through the, the environmental lens, through how much it matters to to clean up this land and treat it better. Um, that's something I feel really deeply and fundamentally. And I think, but there's like there's kind of a little bit of a deeper why, to be honest. And that's um, being uh, involved in agriculture, being with the growers and farmers, seeing the relationship they have and the life they live. It's it's really beautiful and it's really fundamental um, and in our DNA. You know, we're, we all kind of are pulled in that direction a little bit, whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I believe that Sunday by making, caring for your property, growing things more accessible will have an outsized positive impact because that's just an incredible thing to get people out there and doing. Um, and it's, it's just enriching and empowering. So um, I see that. I see that every day with our customers. Uh, the joke in our office is like, I don't, I don't celebrate anything but reviews. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's it. I think, you know, for me, like getting a customer over that hump, getting, you know, someone who's using our products, using our platform and trying something new and growing and, and um, you know, both literally and metaphorically um, is incredibly enriching for me. So that keeps me going. Because, you know, just so I get this right, because basically what you've seen is that all of these pesticides and these horrible chemicals, they get into our water system, they get into our food. And that's really what drives you is to change all that. So it's healthier for, for everybody, for humanity, for animals, for soil, for the world. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that, that is that is a huge, a huge piece of it. I think it's 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 both cleaning up our properties, but also getting people outside and getting them getting their hands dirty, getting them growing. Mm. Um, that's a, a, a really um, a fundamental transformation that we can help people make. To start growing their own, growing their own anything. veggies, yeah, veggies, anything. So um, you know, lawns is a, a really um, fantastic foundation in that uh, there's 90 million American lawns. People are already growing it; they don't have to start from scratch. It's there; they need to take care of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I am excited about uh, you know taking that confidence and building our customers and helping them grow more. Awesome. So, 
you know, do you have a routine or activity or thought process that helps you stay on track and positive, motivated each day? Because I'm sure every day there's so many ups and downs with, um, you know, growing a business. So is there, what do you do to reduce stress? Um, <clears throat> I, um, I wish I had like the, you know, the kind of crazy CEO morning routine type thing where <laughs> the 5am club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wake up at 3am and, and pray for two hours. Um, <laughs> you should look at Mark Wahlberg's morning routine. It's so inspiring, but I don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So um, no, you know, I, I think I, I, I'm very close with our team. I work closely with them. I get energy and, and from them and, and inspiration from them. Um you know, when I'm, when I'm not focusing on Sunday, which is not that much time, I'm focusing on my kids. I'm, I'm riding a mountain bike and getting exercise and doing things like that, getting out in nature. But, um, you know, a lot of my life is this business and there absolutely are days that are really challenging. You, you just, you know, you keep going, you find the strength where you can. Yeah. What's something you wish you would have known before you started Sunday? Um, <clears throat> Uh, and I think these are kind of, it's kind of a boilerplate question, but honestly, I got to think about it for a second. <laughs> um, it's okay. I think, um, I, I, I did, I did bring a lot to this from my last experience. There were a lot mm -hmm. of things where I had fallen in certain pits before and then I walked around in this time. Um, you know, I think, um, there's not any, any kind of, um, I think we're, we're still kind of being uncovered right now as to what, <laughs> what mistakes we're making and, you know, we'll learn them over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but overall it's, it's been an incredible beginning um, and, and it's gone really well. And so there's not huge misses. I, th I think what I would say, I mean, the question reframed as what would I, you know, tell someone who's, who's beginning their journey and starting a business. Um, I, I would say prepare for it to be difficult. <laughs> um, you know, something I tell not every employee, because I think it might scare everybody off, but everybody who's, who comes in at a higher level is that there's going to be times where the smartest move is to quit and we're not going to, we're going to keep going. And I, I just like to prepare them for that mindset because it, it does take that a lot of times, right. and, you know, hopefully not, but I think that's, that's something that, that, um, in my life, you know, with, with Quinn, I've just seen how powerful that is. So when you're, you know, talking to someone you're about to hire and you tell them that, and they look at you like you have two heads. <laughs> what do you, what did they say? Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, it's like, I, even um, if their ship is sinking, we're going to keep it afloat anyways. <laughs> well, again, it's not with every single person. It's people who are more senior, who are really counting on her part of the business and have equity in the business. And, and yeah. actually every one of our employees is equity, by the way. It's part of how we run the company, but mm. you know, have, they have a larger stake. And I think that's a fair ask, you know, you're yeah. a part of this and, and I, and yes, when things are sinking, we're going to be down there patching up holes in the hole. That's just the way that's our job. Yep. Yep. Digging the water, throwing it back in the ocean, you know, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. buckets at a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever. Exactly. Um, no, I, I just, I think that's, um, it, it sounds like I'm focusing on the negative. I'm not. And we've had just an incredibly positive, um, you know, uh, trajectory so far. And I, and I, I think, um, there's an enormous need for meetings. So that, that's why that's the case. Um, but, you know, regardless, this is, this is a challenging thing you're sitting out to do. And I've just been through it. Absolutely. Um, and so what's the biggest thing you've learned about becoming a leader? Like in terms of leadership, what's your leadership style and what have you learned? Um, you know, it's funny. It's almost a little bit like my journey in, in learning uh, public speaking, except it's a, this is leadership's roughly a hundred times harder. Um, it's a, you have to be, I, I kind of thought it was something that would come naturally and you would just, you know, you'd, you'd fall into that position over time. Um, I think that to some extent, you know, just doing the reps and, and being in that position does help, um, but you have to be really pragmatic and thoughtful about it. Um, and so, um, you know, it's something I work on. Um, I work on, uh, you know, I think our more recent focus is, is like when I know something's not right and I know it's the way it needs to be and I have to steal some power from someone else, you just have to do it. You know, and it's it's finding that fine line where that's that's you know injuring your relationship or 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 not giving someone the 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 space and the confidence to go build their own, which is a really negative thing. But sometimes you have to. Um, so learning when to do that and not to do that, um, I generally err on giving my team as, as much space as I possibly can um, because they're so competent and so strong and so able to do. Yeah. Being a leader is pretty tough, <laughs> you know, managing people. Um, 
if you could change anything about your journey, what would you have done differently? Um, my journey, like, uh, with Sunday or <laughs> even further back now, I don't think I would change a thing. I honestly, like, um, it's funny. I, we, I definitely have had moments where, you know, even, even five years ago, feeling like this is, this has been really, really hard. I'm kind of tired of it being, uh, you know, this, this challenging, I think I've grown enough now. <laughs> and then, and then you look one year beyond that and you're like, gosh, even in that last year, since I thought had that thought, I've developed so much more and there was so much more depth that I found through just continuing to move forward and continuing to work hard and, and try this thing. So, um, I, I mean, I, I guess everything, uh, you know, everything, I owe everything to, to that journey. So I wouldn't change it. So you're saying the second you think you've learned, you realize later that you still are learning. No. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, <laughs> there are false summits all the way along on that one. So it's a journey of learning, no matter where you are at, there's yes. always something to take away. Yes. And final question, you know, before we wrap up here, um, maybe two questions real quick is you've already shared a lot of great advice. Do you have any other final words you'd like to share with the listeners that are out there, you know, thinking of building a business, thinking of taking the leap into doing it, or maybe they're just, you know, working at their jobs and are inspired by entrepreneurship and want to hear what advice you have. Um, I think so. I'm again, like I love building things. I love ideas. I love developing them into actual products and then, and then getting people's hands. Um, and I've kind of started to recognize a bit of a pattern for me as I go through that. And then, and maybe other people see this too. Um, and that's that in these early stages, you're not sure if you're lying to yourself and if this thing you're so excited about is real or not. Drinking your um, own Kool-Aid, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and I, and I think you have to, right? And we talked mm -hmm. about not wanting to test an idea because people know how fragile they are and how, how you know, that flame can get, can get blown out so easily. Yeah. Um, and there's a turning point though. That's a really exciting thing. Uh, for me, it's like a switch. And I go from, uh, is this real? And, and, you know, to this is absolutely real and they're all crazy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, when, when you, you've seen enough, you learn enough that you're, you're, you, for me, I just switch into a mode of, of, of confidence of like, no, hundred percent. This is what it is. There is needs to exist, deserves to exist. I'm going to make it real no matter what gets in my way. Um, and that's, um, you know, that happens. You can't plan for that moment to happen, but it's, for me, it's a fundamental part of, of taking the next step and building it into something real. So what's next for Sunday? Is there anything that you can share coming next or coming soon? What can um, we expect? Yeah, you know, I think uh, uh, this year we'll we'll have some um, some spots on TV, which we're really excited about. Cool. I'm um, spreading the word in a bigger way. We'll um, we'll be available. I can't say in any detail, but we'll be available in more places. I would say at the most abstract I can put it. Um, and uh, you know, other than just our website, um, and we'll be growing into um, you know product categories. Uh, that are help people care for more of their property and more of the area outside their home in, in, a, in a way that aligns with their values and is better for their kids, their pets and the planet. Awesome. Cool. Well, I can't wait to hear more about it. And thank you so much for your time on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lee. Really appreciate it. It's fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.